0: Welcome to The Edge of Work, a podcast for innovative leaders and professionals who want to stay ahead on ideas and insights on how technology and innovation are transforming work, careers, and learning. During each episode, we'll talk to leaders, thinkers, and founders to explore the most interesting and innovative trends about attracting and retaining talent, learning, and the future of work. Welcome to the Edge of Work podcast. My name is Al D. I'm the host of the Edge of Work podcast. And today I'm excited because I have with me, John Colliker. John is the CEO and founder of Leland, a marketplace for ambitious people to access the coaching classes and community they need to reach career and educational goals. I'm excited to talk to John about Leland and how their coaching platform is helping professionals and matching them to coaches to fuel career opportunities, but also to talk more broadly about the current state of job and career exploration and transitions, how early in career talent thinks about and explores careers, and what he's learned about expertise, exploration, and talent from building his company. So John, first off, thanks so much for joining me today. Always love talking shop with other MBA graduates, but also people who are building companies in the talent, leadership, learning, and career space. Uh, but before I go any further, I always love starting with a warm-up question and can't think of a better warm-up question to ask someone who's uh, helping people get jobs. But I would love to know for you, what was the first job you had growing up as a kid?
1: Uh, well, thanks for having me out. So the, <laughs> this is a good question. I had a lot of random jobs growing up. My parents' biggest fear in their life was that I would grow up and not be a hard worker. Um, so I worked at car washes, mowed lawns. I was a lifeguard. I worked at a window factory. My very first job though was... My mom's a very entrepreneurial person, and whenever I would go to my sister's dance recitals, I just couldn't stand it because I was a kid, and I then married a dancer, so I love dance now and and go to a lot of dance performances. But to make it fun, my mom would help me put together little flower bouquets, and then I would sell those outside the dance recitals. And you make good money when you have parents that have forgotten to uh, get their daughters or sons flowers, and you can charge 25 bucks, and you're just kind of a little kid out there.
0: Uh, So this is a good first job. I love that story for so many reasons. There's so many seeds of entrepreneurship in that story in terms of thinking or figuring out how to turn a particular challenge into an opportunity, thinking of an innovative ways to start a business, thinking about an unmet problem or challenge that a parent has when they show up without having uh, bouquets or flowers and finding a way to commercialize against that. Um, I know this, this episode isn't about your mom, but I have to bring it up because I saw a LinkedIn post you had, I think, where your mom actually just graduated with her MBA. Is that, is that true?
1: That's right. Yeah, we actually graduated together. My mom's always been very business minded, but she kind of grew up in a different era and um, was an elementary ed teacher, which she loved. But she always would like invest in the stock market. And she ran my family's finances. And she just was like, always very business minded. And then my dad passed away a few years ago. And as she was kind of thinking about the next chapter, we we told her, you got to go get your MBA, you would love it. And so she did. And props to her for
0: taking a tough time and making it into a, a good opportunity. Oh, Great. Well, we'll give a nice shout out to your mom and her story and uh, her pursuit of lifelong learning. That's super wonderful. Okay, let's talk a little bit about WeWind. I want to hear more about what problem did you uncover or key insight did you come across that led to starting a company? So here's kind of the story. And it's
1: funny how you can connect the dots looking backwards, but there's no way I could have planned this. So professionally, I joined three people-centric marketplaces, and that is my entire professional career. I worked at Uber, LinkedIn, and a startup called Curated, which is now a Series C all three of them connecting people to people in a marketplace. And so that was what I was doing. I was building products that connected people. And then on the side, I had actually gotten into business school through the deferred program where you apply as a college senior and then you go work for three to five years. And there wasn't really a lot of information about that. And so I had people reaching out, asking for tips and help. And eventually I was like, I should start a little side hustle here. This would be fun. I could write content. I could do one-on-one coaching. And eventually I did boot camps and I tested a bunch of things. And it was always meant to be a side project. And over time, I try to, you know, I think as a lot of people do, you start to try to scale yourself out of the equation and you say, okay, you know, I'm doing a lot of one on one, it's going well and I'm bringing my prices up, but. You know, I don't have time to take on 250 people. So, like, what if I did a boot camp and I could have 100 people join? So we did that, and then we wrote this strategy guide and all that. It was great, but what what I didn't anticipate was that it wouldn't cannibalize my one on one. It actually created more demand for one on one because people would learn all the things that they didn't know about the process, and then they would want personalized help. And there's only so much that scaled content can do for you. I think it's obviously valuable, and you can learn and try to apply it to yourself. But for certain goals that people have, like getting jobs or getting into school, the personalization is actually really, really valuable. I think that the parallel that we think about is, you know, would you rather watch a video of Steph Curry teaching you how to shoot a basketball? He's the best shooter in the world, the best shooter that will probably ever live. Or would you rather work one-on-one with like your local college shooting coach? What would be more valuable? And the reality is like, it would be the shooting coach, right? Because they could give you personalized tips. They could help you with your form. And yeah, you could get some insight from Steph, but you know, he's not going to be able to give you one-on-one feedback. So there's certain goals in our lives that I think are just are so valuable to have a one-on-one coach. And so the thesis here is that the first generation of the expertise economy was much more about scaled expertise. It was these amazing companies like Udemy and Masterclass and others that would take an expert and they would record a video and they would scale that and sell that, package that content and sell it. And I think there's always going to be a place for that type of content. And I think what's really, really, really interesting is this wave of not just scaled expertise, but access to expertise, where you can actually interact with it. You can ask personalized questions and you can work towards a goal. And I think that opens up opportunity in addition to just knowledge. And that's kind of the underlying premise of what we're doing at Leland and playing in the
0: expertise economy. Sorry, that was long winded. Hope that helps. It does. And as someone who has also been curious about platforms and marketplaces over the years and been a part of building some and being on some, I definitely have a lot of other thoughts and questions about this. So thank you for sharing that. So a couple things I wanted to maybe drill down in a little bit. One of the things that strikes me that stands out, I think you're absolutely right. There are some things where watching a video is just fine for the job that needs to get done, right? Or watching a number of YouTube videos is just fine for a job that needs to get done. But some of the things that I think you cover now on in terms of the coaching and the expertise you provide are things in that category where you really want someone to go on the journey with you, right? And it strikes me as things that fall within the bucket of career being a really critical component to that. Part of that, I think, comes from folks who don't maybe have the knowledge or expertise or access to it, right? It's about getting it. But also, if you've never had any previous knowledge of it, it's really hard to get up to speed really fast. And having someone to guide you along the way can be super helpful. So that makes a lot of sense to me. Outside of just serving a challenge initially in terms of deferred MBA missions that you saw yourself, what about that space? Because I think that's where you started in the MBA admission space in terms of helping people get help through navigating that application process. What also stuck out to you about that particular challenge? Why did you start there just outside of the fact that yeah. it was a something that you knew?
1: <laughs> it's funny because you know better than anyone now, like MBAs are kind of this like easy thing to hate on right now. And thanks to Elon Musk and and several other people that hate on MBAs and then invest in them. I think we were, you know, nervous that like, if we start with MBA, does that actually put us in this hole where people like, well, why are you working on MBA admissions when like there's a lot of change that's happening in MBAs? Like the relevance of them is kind of up for debate at a certain level. And so that was something we thought about. But at the end of the day, there were a few key reasons. One, MBAs today are still probably the largest collection of people that have different professional skill sets that would make it much easier for us to expand into new categories, right? So if we launched product management first, we would have a bunch of really great product managers and that would be great. But expanding from there, you know, we maybe would get some people that have biz ops or engineering backgrounds, but it wouldn't be the same collection of backgrounds that you get with an MBA. And so that actually helped us quite a bit when we started to think about the next categories is we had all of these coaches doing coaching for 20 different things and actually having customer demand for them. And so expanding from MBA was actually pretty valuable. So that was great. I think the other piece was I was at the GSB. So launching and getting great coaches was just a lot easier. And then of course, like we had expertise, we had communities, I had built a business in this space in the past. I think about Leland and my deferred MBA business as being very different. But a lot of the learnings definitely funneled in and and some of the customers did as well. So those were some of the main reasons.
0: So could you talk just a little bit about the fundamentals of how Leland works? So it's a marketplace, as you said, as you and I both know, there's a couple sides to it, but could you just walk through for what's just the different sides, how it works and yeah, how it operates? So we operate, as you said, like
1: a traditional marketplace. We have a take rate model, meaning someone pays for coaching and we take a piece of that. So our take starts at 20%, slides down to 10%. If you look at the industry standard for admissions consulting firms, it tends to be something like 40 to sometimes 80% is what's taken out of the coach's pay. So tend to be much more favorable terms for the coaches, which brings down prices for everyone. So that's one of the beauties of just the marketplace model is you serve more people, you take a smaller margin, but because you are serving such a large group of people, you can grow and still hit a meaningful business. So that's kind of the interaction of just the business model. We, uh, we're exploring additional types of recurring models as well, but that's kind of the traditional and that'll be the base for a while. In terms of how the platform works, you come to Leland, you tell us your goals, whether that's getting into school, getting a job in a, you know, investment banking, taking a test, and we match you to a coach or give you coach recommendations or show you like a search result similar to like an Airbnb or other marketplace and you can filter on different things. We'll also do some matching ourselves and handholds you to get you to the right place. But you can filter on price, you can filter on background, you can filter on target school or target company, you can filter on the different services you need, like interview prep or essay review or resume review. uh, And then you can find a coach that fits um, that budget background and
0: goals. Thank you for walking us through that. And so I wanted to explore further this idea of the expertise economy. And I want to explore it on the side of both the coaches you have on the platform, and then what professionals are looking for. So on the side of the coaches. Talk to me a little bit more just about how do you find coaches or, and also just more broadly speaking, this idea that going through a job search or going through a career search is not a new endeavor. There are plenty of millions of people who have done it, yeah. but getting people to then come back to say, hey, I can actually help other people or co-create with other people to help them walk through it. Talk to me a little bit more in terms of how you've been able to kind of identify how to build up demand on the side of the coaches and also help them unlock their expertise to be able to help other people. So we certainly benefited from COVID
1: with this specific side of the marketplace because people have never been more willing to monetize their knowledge online or more interested in it. And it's just a lot easier now when you're not going into an office, you, you know, you're you always connected. There's a lot more creator tools. So there's just more people interested in kind of having this side hustle like generationally. There's just more interest. So you have that factor. You also have the reality that these people that have achieved some sort of success in their lives are already getting reached out to by so many people asking for help. They don't really know how to filter that down. There's a lot of noise. A lot of them are doing it for free, but they can't give them the level of help that they really need in just like a 15-minute call. And so people are offering to pay them or they're, you know, some of them will create actual courses and you'll see that on LinkedIn or Twitter or whatever, like download this digital guide or you can book a one on one with me. And it's great. But what's hard is on the customer side, like how do you sift through all that noise? Like how do you find the best person? How do you read real reviews? How do you evaluate your different options when it's mostly just these solopreneurs or some smaller firms that are really doing it? And there's no kind of independent platform where you can actually evaluate your options. So on the coach side, we've actually been overwhelmed with interest. We actually have a wait list at this point of hundreds and probably close to a thousand coaches. And we'll likely open that up as we start to launch new categories. But I think just the general interest in monetizing
0: your knowledge is pretty powerful. I think you hit on a couple things in terms of different trends that are, you know, having a moment in terms of being in COVID, but also just generational trends as well. I think the other thing, to your point, there is not a shortage of information that exists in the world on anything, right? Yeah. Pretty much. It it all is out there and we can all get it with a couple clicks and a couple searches. Uh, the critical thing is figuring out what is the best information, right? Where should I go for X or where should I go for Y? And certainly yeah. we've evolved from the days of, of just having like a Yelp, right? Or in the software space, something like a Gartner or a G2 Crowd and things that kind of validate and vet. Uh, but I see some of the work that you're doing as kind of being the next iteration of that or across other aspects of our lives that are really, really important, right? Just as you would want the right doctor for a certain medical procedure that you might need to have, you would probably also want to make sure that you have the right expert for the type of career transition or career goal that you have for yourself.
1: Yeah, that's exactly right. Like On the content piece, there is so much information out there. Hard to know what to trust. It's hard to know what it means for me personally based on my unique situation, my unique network. And so to have like a champion that I can actually afford and that can be on my team, it's pretty special.
0: And so on that notion of expertise and knowledge and information, but personalized and specific to the individual job seeker or career individual themselves... Talk to me a little bit more about how you think about things like self-service content versus group coaching versus individual coaching, right? And to your point, when you go to a doctor, right, it's like the doctor is for you, right? It's not you in a a group per se. And there's very important reasons for that. But I would love to know just from your perspective, what is it about or, or how do you think about that from a career journey or career transition perspective of when does it make sense to give someone, you know, put them in a group, right? Because it gives them a chance to learn with others versus... Um, or, or how do they think about it in terms of, I need to go one-on-one because of X, Y, and Z versus, I'd be okay with being in a group for all these other reasons.
1: Yeah, I think about this all the time. And there's some really interesting companies that are trying all, you know, all variations of this. I think the group model, one great example is OutSchool, which does small group classes for kids. It's nice to you know, have other kids in the classroom to learn from them, to to hear the questions that they ask, to be able to build some sort of relationships. Maven's another good example of the cohort-based model where it's live, but it's also a much larger scaled approach. OutSchool tends to be much smaller groups. And then you have kind of the classics like Udemy, which uh, have much lower completion rates, but you can create a lot of content and kind of serve a bunch of different niches because of that, because it is, you know, async. Uh, So there's a lot of interesting models. On our end, I think we default to access. And I think access looks like um, one-on-one in a lot of cases. It also looks like small group classes as well. And we are going to look at other types of expertise that are more scaled or potentially async just to create more access. Cause I think access can be actually like being able to interact with it and ask questions to the expert and get personalized feedback. That's the most, you know, the most intimate form, but it also can be lowering the price and lowering the ability to the, the kind of barrier to actually unlock some value and then figuring out how do you then kind of meet people where they're at. Cause there's some people that are just like, you know, I'm a few years out from applying to jobs. I just want to learn what I should learn. And I trust this expert and maybe reading something that they put out to the world. We do a lot of written content as well. We encourage our coaches to write content. Like maybe that is what they need to start. And that kind of turns into a small group class, which turns into a relationship with the coach. And so I think there's kind of varying levels here. And we're, we're experimenting with a bunch of things, but making sure that access to it is at its
0: core. One of the things that I noticed just from some of the LinkedIn posts as well as just looking at your website is it looks like you do have a community component to it as well. I think maybe there's a Slack channel. The one-on-one makes sense. The group makes sense to me. But could you talk to me just about uh, what your community does and also just more broadly how you see community playing a role just in career development in general?
1: LinkedIn. Gave me an amazing appreciation for just the power of what community can do for people. It it can be tricky, though, right? Like this is kind of an individual goal that people have, and sometimes that can feel scary to share those goals with other people, to open up, to ask questions in a public place. So I think we're figuring out what are the types of community, what are the flavors of community that really matter to people. Uh, You know, we know people love celebrating as a community, so we have a channel in our in our uh, Slack community that is. It's hashtag go places and it's every time someone gets into school or gets a job they post there and like everyone loves that because it's just fun to celebrate when people reach a goal. And then we have other, we do a lot of events for the community. So we'll have coaches that will do free uh, AMAs or we'll do other types of events. And that's great because they can come and actually get expertise. I think the peer-to-peer is a little bit, we're still kind of figuring out, like, do people want to ask questions to their peers? Do they trust that kind of knowledge? And so I think at at the end of the day, people are very supportive. They don't think about each other as being competitive as much as I thought they would, though there probably is a little bit of that if there's someone that's going after the exact same position. Um, but I think that generally there's enough opportunity out there to where people feel you know supportive and happy and want to be a part of like helping other people reach their goals as well. It's I mean it's so fulfilling to be able to watch and be a part of helping people reach their goals. So so that's that's a
0: big thing that we're experimenting with in the community. One of my mental models for community in the career search has been, and I'm sure you can relate to this a little bit, my own MBA experience, right? In terms of for those of you who are in business school or have gone through business school. When you do go out and recruit, a lot of times the people that you end up spending the most amount of time with are the people who also recruit for the same thing. You know, the, the yeah. management consultants spend a lot of time with each other because they're prepping for case interviews and, and whatnot. Same with the investment bankers or insert every other industry or function. And uh, from my experience, at least talking with lots of MBA students, that is often one of the biggest sources of strength uh, a lot of times, particularly when you are going through a challenging week or challenging experience. And not to mention all the opportunities you get to practice for interviews or to, prepare for events or or things like that. And so that has been something that has always stuck with me in terms of, you are right, the career is an individual. uh, It is individual and unique to each individual. And it is not necessarily something you have to do alone Alone. in a silo, right? And even for me, uh, in my own experience to becoming an entrepreneur and being an entrepreneur... I've benefited so much from being able to be in communities with other entrepreneurs who have, in many cases, have either the same challenges that I do or have already gone and solved the problems that I am like encountering myself. And so there is absolutely some nuance there in terms of figuring out how do you individually think about your own kind of goals or, or whatnot. But there is uh, this element of of knowing that you don't have to do it alone. And, and anyone who's ever had to search for a job before, I think, understands that in terms of either the the referral that gets them the interview or like the person who helps them prepare for the interview or, or something like that.
1: That's a great way of thinking about it. Just because it is like a personal goal, it does not mean it needs to be something done alone. It shouldn't be. It's it's actually way too important to be, d- to be <laughs> to, done alone. Sure, um, sure. And it's certainly... Yeah so important to where you shouldn't just trust anyone out there or like your random uncle who went to school like 50 years ago. You need to figure out who you can trust that can actually help you. And, And then obviously lean on other people who are going through a lot of the same
0: emotions and challenges too. So One of the things that's great about Marketplace is that you get lots of interactions, both in terms of what you're seeing, in terms of any types of behaviors that you're tracking, but also, I presume, from particularly the one-on-one coaching aspect, just whatever qualitative feedback you get from talking with coaches or talking from people who go through uh, your programs. I'd be curious to know, what are some of the surprises you've learned, either from that quantitative data or those qualitative conversations, just about the interactions, how people are getting value, or just any other types of, of insights about either the engagement itself or just about careers more broadly. Users are
1: so creative and they're able to like see a platform and and leverage it in the way that they need help. And we had someone that used 20 coaches when they applied to school. I'm like, what are you doing? But their strategy was to get a bunch of different eyeballs on things. And so I don't know if I would say that's like the best approach, but there are a lot of these different Types of folks that will take advantage of the value in different ways. I think one of the things that we've recognized and appreciate is that our product has essentially 100% utilization, where if you pay for something, you use it. And that's not always the case, right? I think with MOOCs and historically these courses that you purchase, like everyone has the intent to learn how to write Java or to build an app. And then you buy the course and you watch the first video and you're like, oh gosh, this is not going to go well. I'm going to stop and uh, cut my losses. And so you get like a 4% completion rate you know we have a 100% completion rate because people when they pay for coaching they really want that coaching and there's like a human involved and i think that leads to some really powerful experiences like we've had coaches invite their customers their clients to campuses one in particular i'm thinking of at the GSB invited them to beer pong league invited them to tour campus invited them to two of their classes And they actually like built a real relationship. They didn't do that with every client, but they've built a real relationship. So I think I've been shocked at how it goes well beyond kind of the transactional nature of just, you know, working with a coach to achieve a goal. And it actually turns into relationships that last kind of
0: well beyond just the interaction on Leland. So I know you've been at this for a while, but I'd be curious to know, or recording this in roughly the summer of 2022, what are you focused on right now or what's up ahead for Leland in the fall?
1: So we are in such a fun time. I think we'll look back on this as being one of the, the most exciting, challenging times because we've de-risked the business in a lot of ways. We have hundreds and hundreds of people on the platform transacting every week and month. And so we have just a lot of a lot of momentum. But We are still figuring out so many things that need to get fixed before we really start to scale this to new categories and to deepen the footprint within the existing categories we're operating in. One of the challenges and things that we're focused on right now is how do you build a horizontal marketplace that has vertical resonance within each category? So how could someone come to us who's trying to apply to medical school and say, Leland is the absolute best place for me to apply to medical school. And at the same time, someone trying to get a job in investment banking could say, that's the best place for me to get a job in investment banking. And really the way to do that is build a world-class product that allows our coaches to kind of deliver their expertise and allow that to permeate the platform in different ways, like group classes, like content, like one-on-one coaching. So uh, we have a lot of work to do, but that's our top focus for the next six months.
0: That sounds exciting. Last question here, because we're coming up on time. But I'm going to ask you just to riff on this for me for a second. So one of the things that I often think about, and I know you probably think about at least a little bit, is a lot of your customers, I think, are perhaps a little bit early in their career, either uh, in college or right just out of college. And, you know, as I think about the future of work, one of the things where I see a lot of opportunity really is to give people who are early in their careers more career readiness, right? Helping them really understand what it takes to manage and grow their careers in the ways that they want in this rapidly changing world of work. So, the great thing about what you're doing is you talked about expanding access and access to expertise, and that's really awesome. But there's a lot of opportunity and people, markets, verticals, industries to reach more of. And while I think what you're doing is putting a dent in that, there's still much more opportunity to grow. And so I'm just curious how you think about that, or if you think about that at all, or what are the things that need to happen to make career education, make career readiness more accessible and more expanded across all the people that need it, particularly those who are earliest in their careers?
1: It's tricky because most students or, you know, early career professionals that today most people still go to college, obviously there's some alternatives that are popping up, but early career professionals or college students, they rely quite a bit on these established systems that aren't quite doing the job, right? Like if you go to your average college career center, it is really not great. They're focused on just like getting you to anywhere that will hire you. They're not helping you kind of learn how to become a professional or find the right fit for you. So I think a lot of it is giving the individual power to actually like own their own career. And for me, I attribute most of that to mentors that I had that were honestly just like a few years older than me who showed me what it meant to like fly out to a city to recruit or to reach out and like put yourself out there. I was a sophomore in college and one of my friends was like, you got to start talking to people if you want to break into tech. I'm like, you're right. So I just started cold emailing everyone I could find that went to my undergrad and tried to get them on the phone. And it led to all these amazing relationships that I actually still have today. I actually went to lunch with someone that I reached out to last week who worked at LinkedIn at the time. So I think a lot of it is just empowering the individual to have the tools that they need. And I, you know, obviously we've taken a more coaching approach because we think people are such an important part of that. But I think also a big part of it will be partnering with institutions that are currently in the position of power where they are supposed
0: to be kind of teaching these young professionals how to do things. And they're not quite doing it or not doing it as well as they could. I think that's a really great point. Uh, John Colicker, CEO of Wheeland, thank you so much for joining me today. If people want to learn more about you or learn more about Wheeland, where can they go?
1: Uh, connect with me on LinkedIn or follow me on Twitter. Uh, trying to put out more content to the world. It's not always my uh, natural self to put out a bunch of content, but I'm trying my best and I hope it's helpful. So yeah, feel free to reach
0: out. Hi, everyone. Al D here. Thank you so much for listening to the Edge of Work podcast. If you like what you heard, I encourage you to share the episode with a friend, as well as to head over to Apple Podcasts to leave a review and let us know what you think. I would be forever grateful if you did that. I would also love to hear directly from you about what episodes you're listening to or any suggestions you have for how we can make it better. You can find me on LinkedIn.